Well, good morning. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us. Um, uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 2 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first wedding, and it's appropriate that tomorrow is um, mine and Olivia's 13th anniversary, so we're excited. Um, and just thinking about those 13 years, it's just been an amazing journey. Um, thinking back to when, we, when I first uh, saw her on campus in the fall of 2001, and uh, just was blown away by her, just like, Lord, please, I'm begging, like, that's the one, please, do whatever you need to do. You spoke everything into existence, surely, like, you can trick this girl into liking me. It took a long time for that to happen. It was, uh, uh, let's see, uh, about seven months of me begging and pleading, and finally she surrendered. And, uh, and so 13 years um, of marriage has been incredible. Um, so I guess that would have been three years of dating while you were at Marshall and I was at Southeastern Seminary, and then we got married in June 4, 2005, and uh, six kids later, and it's been incredible. And, uh, and, and, and you know, we, we have a great relationship. It's not perfect, um, but uh, it, I, love, I love being married uh, to Olivia. And yesterday I was reminded of, of, of one of those reasons. I, so yesterday church softball started, and, um, and, and maybe, maybe you're a guest this morning and you're just trying to find community. We, there's, there's plenty of room for softball if you uh, if, if you want to play, then just let, let me know. Fill out one of those connect cards in the back that D Dustin was mentioning earlier. Um, but we, we started yesterday, and I was playing left field. And uh, this guy, they, they, they're a really good team we were playing. They were hitting a bunch of home runs. And this one guy hit one. He was going back. And I run back to the fence. And uh, there's a tree limb kind of hanging over about maybe eight feet above my head. So I'm underneath this tree limb. I can feel the fence. I'm waiting on the ball. I see the ball, see the ball, see the ball, and then it gets in that, that branch. And so part of me is thinking, you know, when you're a kid and the wolf ball goes up in the tree and it like, like plinkos, Price is Right reference, RL, and like you're just kind of waiting, and then you're going to catch it, and you're like, yay. Uh, so it's coming through, and in my head, that's what I'm thinking. But no, it just went straight through the tree, hit me right in the head. And, and so I know I'm here this morning to preach this passage. I'm alive because the Lord has a plan for me. I have no doubt. I should be dead right now. A fly ball. It, it, it'd be like somebody hitting a ball and telling you, I dare you not to use your glove and just let a fly ball hit you in the head. <laughs> That's essentially what happened to me. And, and the ball hit me in the head. So I'm, I'm like this underneath the tree. It hits me. And I just sat down because I got hit in the head, okay? And I'm like, am I dead? Because the baseball field, my picture of heaven would be baseball fields. And so I'm like, this could be heaven. I don't know. And, uh, and then, then I just lay down because I'm like, I could black out. Something could be wrong. I could be bleeding. Beth, right? <laughs> Beth had the same experience a week ago. Um, softball is dangerous. And so I'm, I'm laying there, and I, there's no pain whatsoever. Like, and I'm just laying there waiting for the pain to come. And like, I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm pinching myself. I'm like, 
Okay, I must, I'm, I'm alive, I think. And I, I get up and keep playing softball. And I come home, and, you know, older guys, you know, when you come home, your wife doesn't, like, the first thing your wife might ask you uh, is, like, did you hurt anything, right? That's what, now when you're my age, that's what you're concerned about. Like, just don't get hurt, okay? And so I come home, and I just tell her, I'm like, okay, I just want you to know that I'm okay. And she's like, what would you do? <laughs> and I said, a, a fly ball hit me in the head. And my gracious, compassionate wife said, "Did you mean you didn't catch it? I'm like, no, I didn't. I, it hit me in the head. I didn't catch it. And, 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 uh, and so she forgave me for missing the fly ball. And, uh, and she said, but all, you know, all this proves those 13 years I knew I was right this whole time, and you're proving it today that you really have a hard head. And so, uh, 13 years of marriage, she's confirmed yesterday that I've got a, she's married to a hard-headed husband. So, this morning, Genesis 2, we see uh, God putting uh, a husband and a wife together. Um, Male and female, man and woman, we see God creating this institution of marriage. Uh, And so... Um, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage, a timeless passage that Jesus and Paul both quote. And um, last week we saw how um, in Genesis 2, 1 through 14, um, how God created man. Um, he, he took some dirt, breathed life into him. Here we get to see the pinnacle of creation, uh, what he waited till the very last to create. It's like he saved the best for last. When he created woman and just amazing women who has changed our world. Um, and so um, this would be a great Mother's Day message. So happy, happy Mother's Day uh, to the ladies here. Uh, so here, starting in verse 15. Um, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now remember in context, this is day six. So Genesis 1, we see all the overview, aerial view of creation. Chapter 2 is a very, you know, uh, uh, um, it's like day 6 under a microscope. And so it's a very close-up view of day 6. So he took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so here he's saying, every tree, this is good for you. But there's limitations. This tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And I, you know, spoiler alert, I don't know if you've ever read the rest of this, but they, they, they eventually eat this tree. And I just want you to think about how we are wired. We have so many things that we are free to enjoy, but yet it seems like we love to be by that tree. As we'll see next week, they, when Genesis 3, when, when that narrative picks up, they are right by the tree that they... God told them to not be around. And, and so when he says that they shall 
um, surely die. We'll see in Genesis 3 that this is not talking about a physical death. So this is showing us, this is reminding us last week of that dichotomy, that you're physical and spiritual. That's who you are. You're spiritual and physical. And so physically they don't die, but they have a spiritual death. So that's what he's talking about. There's a spiritual death. And now we're all, we're spiritually dead until God gives us new life. That's symbol of, 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 of you know, being raised in newness of life, being born again, this whole new life. Because we are dead. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. All right, let's, let's unpack this. This is a really important verse for us. Um, here we see the first time where something's not good. Remember in Genesis 1, um, that phrase that was repeated over and over, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good, you know, day three and then day four, and God saw that it was good. Here we see a moment in day six where something was not good. Because you remember at the end of day six, when um, God created, um, you know, when he was finished creating, we saw back in Genesis 1, 31, when he was done with everything, what did he say? It wasn't just, it wasn't longer not good, and it wasn't just good, it was very good when he was finished creating. But here in a moment of chapter 6, something was not good. And it was that man was alone. Now, I could lay out ten commentaries out here in front of us this morning. And, and, and five of these would say one thing and five would say another about how you understand this, what alone means. And uh, I, I, I think... Just understanding context and just understanding how we're wired, I, I really strongly lead to this meaning of alone does not mean loneliness. It's not that Adam was lonely in the garden and that that was why it was not good because he was just lonely. He looked at the other creatures and saw that they had, you know, uh, a, a companion and he's going, but, you know, where's, where's somebody for me? Uh, and he's just kind of lonely. Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, and I just want you to think about this. Do you think there's a difference in being alone and being lonely? Is there a difference? Are those synonymous? I, I think loneliness would be more of a feeling. It's an emotion. You feel lonely. Um, you can be in a room full of people like this morning where none of you right now could say, I'm alone. True? None of you could say, I'm alone right now. You have somebody around you. But you could be in a room full of people and feel lonely. I know some of you right now, you come in this morning and maybe this is new or you've been coming here for a few weeks, a couple months. And you're in a room full of people, but you still feel lonely. You just don't have community. Uh, and, and so there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. And that's really important to understand this passage. Adam was not lonely. That's not why God was looking at him and going, man, that's not good for him to be uh, just lonely. Uh, he had 
he had a fellowship with God that we've never had. Understand that. God walked with Adam in the garden. He's not lonely. He's with God. And, and so sometimes I, I know like in, when you're single, you can be thinking about like, I just want a man or I just want a woman because I'm just lonely. And I just want to remind you for that season, you, God should be satisfying to you. You don't need a man or a woman to complete you, okay? And this is talking about Adam was incomplete and uh, in his mission, but not in his value or purpose. Like with, with he didn't need Eve to complete him from being like uh, lonely. Um, God, Adam had God. He walked with God in a way that we've never done. So he's, he's satisfied in that relationship, but as far as his purpose for what God created him to do, you remember, go back to what was Adam's purpose? What was the first command that he told him to do? It wasn't, it wasn't um, and I'm just, I'm looking at the order of our Bible, it wasn't not to eat of the tree, it was to be fruitful, multiply. Remember in our first week when we set up Genesis 1, we said God was doing something bigger than just creating things he was already putting on display this that the cross was coming and for the cross to come he had to create adam and eve because their great 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 grandchild was going to be the one that was going to rescue everyone and this incredible story of redemption and so in order for jesus to come Adam and Eve had to be fruitful, multiply. And so in order to fulfill his purpose, it was not good for Adam to be alone. He had a purpose, a very specific one. And so here he says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now this is a verse, a phrase that um, I know that some of you may get upset. Um, you, this is a very controversial, controversial uh, uh, passage this morning. That God has made a helper fit for him. That God has created man uh, to lead his family in such a way that the wife is his helpmate. Some of your versions may have. This helper for him. That they come alongside together uh, for a purpose. That the two of them can do more together than they can do alone. And I know in our culture that's not popular. Um... We don't like that kind of language, and it's here, so we've got to deal with it, um, and uh, he repeats it a couple times in Genesis 2, that, that the, the role of his wife would be to help him do what he couldn't do alone, and, and so I think that's an incredible picture of them coming together, that just Adam, um, he, he, he was completed in the sense that he couldn't lead his family, obviously, um, until he had Eve. And, and there, the way that God created him was going to be different than how God was creating her. Um, and when you look back in Genesis 1 to that creation account, uh, it's just uh, an incredible observation is um, he's creating man and woman. But then he says he created them. Male and female, he created them. And just, is there a difference between man and woman and male and female? 
And, and, and I think there is. The reason he brings up male and female because he's, he's creating these differences in gender. God is making this, a distinction in our sexuality. And so this is being um, added on here that, that he's taking a male and female, bringing them together, and the two shall become one. They're complete. And so they have a purpose. She's here to help him with his vision. And, um, and just, you're going to have, you have to wrestle with this. Could God have created the woman first? Was there any reason he could not have created Eve first? There's no reason. He could have created her first. But he chose to create Adam first uh, and then Eve. And it says, I will make a helper fit for him. He could have, and you gotta, this is where you have to understand your theology and understand the sovereignty of the Lord, that God, he, he, he could have done this if he had have chosen to. He could have created Eve first and set it up to where it's not good for her to be alone. I'm going to create a helper for her. But for his purposes, when he thought through every reason of doing why he created the world the way he created it, he created man first and he created uh, the wife to be his helper. And so if you're angry at that language, you have to take it up with the author of this. Uh, and I'm not the author of this. God, this, is, this was God's design. And now, so we're going to see, again, it, it wasn't that Adam was an idiot, and so he needed a wife to take care of the house because he's an idiot. That's what television shows us. Every husband on TV is an idiot, right? And without the wives, we wouldn't even know how to, we wouldn't be able to keep the kids alive. We wouldn't be able to make a meal. Um, I mean, just watch any sitcom right now. Men are idiots. But Adam was not an idiot. Look at this. He's brilliant. Look at verse 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. So you see, man, he's brilliant. He's able to, to name every creature. Um, and, you know, I, I would be hard for me. I, I don't have the vocabulary. I'd be like, you know, one, two, three. I mean, it would be bad. So he's naming these animals. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. That's that same phrase there. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And uh, while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man... He made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now let's just walk through this and unpack it. Um, and so here's this beautiful picture that, that Adam is incomplete in his mission, his purpose, not in his relationship with Christ, with, with the Trinity, um, but... For his purpose, he's incomplete. And so God causes a deep sleep 
um, upon man, and uh, and he takes a rib. Now again, let's just let's just think this through. Could God? Did God need a part of her body, of his body, to create the woman? Absolutely not. He just took dirt in chapter the beginning of this chapter. Took dirt and breathed life into that dirt. So he didn't need to do this. But I I think there's a lot of just um, just beauty happening here that he took a rib to fashion, make her. That's what that word in Hebrew means. The ESV uses the word made, that he made her, uh, made into a woman in verse 22. Uh, The word there is like fashioned, shaped, and I just love that, that that, uh, women are just... You're a little more uh, 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 complex than man. Man's so simple, just some dirt and breath. But woman, she's being shaped and fashioned. And if you notice in all of creation, like you go from the most simple to like the most complex. And I just love, I just love that picture. And so, you know, here, this is where you would insert here back in the end of chapter one, and it was... It was very good. Now that woman is on the earth, it is very good. And so he's, he takes this rib, and, and man, theologians have, have debated for, for centuries, why the rib? Why that? Uh, and I think he could have taken any part of the body, but I just love, uh, um, Matthew Henry um, uh, says it this way, he, he says that, that the rib is, is a beautiful picture of husband and wife. That God, if God would have taken um, a bone from the foot, then the man would have thought he's stomping her and she's underneath his foot, he's, that she's oppressed. And sadly, that's some cultures even today, that women are beneath men. Um, and that's not how God created it to be. Um, also, he didn't take a bone from the skull where now you have this confusion of who's, who's leading. Like she's the brains of the operation and, and, and Adam's underneath her. But he took a rib in that you're side by side, husband and wife journeying together. And I love that picture. It's side by side. Anytime um, we have big decisions in the family, like Olivia's, she, she's been so gracious. She says, look... I'm, I'm called to follow you. If you think this is best for our family, I'm willing to follow you. And, uh, and I, just, I just keep reminding her, I, I, I am so thankful of your, your uh, willingness to follow my leadership as a husband. But I, I, don't, picture, I don't picture leading as like she's like six steps behind me. and like Because, you know, dragging and leading can look similar, right? Uh, and it's not like I'm dragging you along on this vision, or, you know, this purpose that God has given us. But I, I want us side by side, that we're walking hand in hand through this journey together. And so any big decision, like leaving BCM, that was a big decision for us. We love campus ministry and BCM. And um, I told her just early, like, hey, we need to be praying about this. I just feel like God's doing something in my heart. I'm just kind of restless right now. And so I gave her well in advance, like, just be praying about this. And uh, I'm not doing it until God's calling you. And so I feel like God calls husband and wife together 
Uh, and so I was just patient waiting on God. If God's called me, I feel like he's called her. Uh, and so eventually she's like, I just, I feel the same, same thing. And so we're, we're side by side. So it's this rib that God pulls out. And he, now, is that from the text? I can't say, you know, from a hermeneutic sense that that's why God is using the rib. But it makes a good illustration. Like, it, 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 I think it helps us see what's going on. And so Adam, he, he wakes up and he, and he sees, he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. So he's like, wow, this is, you know, this is it. This is the one. I mean, literally, this is the one. Uh, and so uh, this is the first marriage right here. It's beautiful. God is bringing them together. Verse 24 and 25 are so important for us. Uh, they are timeless. Jesus quotes this. Paul quotes verse 24. He says this. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Uh, this is so important. Like, like the, the garden scene, like I, every time I read this, I'm just fascinated. And I, my brain just, there's so many questions I have. And when we get to Adam and Eve, you probably have questions too. Like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? You ever thought about that? Does that haunt you? Like, I can't sleep sometimes. I have so many questions I want to know. Like, was there a T-Rex in the garden? Just wandering around. Like, I, I, I want to know these, I, but I don't have answers. But there's some things that we know here, and, and, and this is fascinating to me. Like, verse 24, when you read it, it should, it should confuse you a little bit because it's, it's strange. It's very strange that, and we don't know how this is happening. Like, like is God telling Adam and Eve, verse 24, like, we don't have a quote, we don't have it in quotes here. Like, as, you know, he spoke to Adam and said, you, you may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But here we don't have a direct quote, but it was commanded to them. And this should, like, you should read this and be like, well, this is a strange thing to tell Adam and Eve. Now, why is it strange? He says, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his, to his wife. Have you ever read that and thought, well, that's strange. Why would he tell Adam and Eve? What's strange about him telling Adam and Eve to leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife? They don't have a mother and a father. So... They don't need to leave something they don't have, right? You see that? So why put that in there? It's because God was creating marriage. It was to be passed on for generation after generation after generation. And this was something that he was creating right here at the very beginning uh, to establish to their children's 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 children, even today, when I'm doing premarital counseling, we look at this, this passage. This is so important. And this is um, parents, I'm sure those of you on the other end of parenting, that you've had to maybe walk. Bruce, I know you've had to do this, where you've had to walk your daughter down the aisle and give her 
away, this is where this comes from. That God has given, this is the ideal, I know this is not a perfect, our, our world is broken, we can all agree on that. But the perfect plan was that every daughter should be raised by a godly father who protects her, provides for her, uh, until the day he walks her down the aisle and he hands her over to another godly man who will lead her and protect her. That's the beautiful picture we see here. And so, there's all kinds of application to pull out from this passage. So, one would be dads, dads of daughters. I'd be one of you. It scares me to death. We have to raise our daughters in such a way where we're providing for them, where we're leading them to the Lord, we're pointing them uh, to Jesus. And one day, we have to understand that, uh, that we're going to, we're going to hand them over to some other guy. That's troubling to me. My, Eliana, she's five. You, many of you know Eliana. If you don't, she'll, get, she'll talk to you all day long. So you, you'll get to know her real fast. Uh, she, she's like, she wants many kids. She's like, I can't wait to be a mom, and I'm going to adopt like ten kids, but there's no way I'm ever kissing a boy. And I just say, amen, amen. Uh, I'm scared to death of like those teenage years of raising a daughter. Uh, and, and dads, we've got to raise them. We've got to love them. Don't be afraid to hold your daughter. Tell her that you love her. Because um, this is what I've just observed through campus ministry for 10 years and just in life. Uh, if those daughters don't get attention from you, they're going to look for attention in some other man. And so don't let some other man take your, your role. And so love on that girl. Hold her. Tell her she's beautiful. Uh, take her out on dates. Open up the car door, door for her. Uh, open up, you know, doors. Show her what it means to be a gentleman. You lead her well. Because what you're doing, you're showing her, you're modeling her the kind of guy that she wants to be standing here waiting on the two of you to walk down that aisle together. And so help her to see like she wants to marry someone like you, which might frighten you because you know how you used to be. And so you got to become the man that you want her to marry one day. And same thing with, with the guys, like raising that boy. Like you want, you want the other fathers to raise their sons in such a way that you want to hand them over and I know there's some of these college students man I just love you men like how you lead and just uh, I just think there's some of you college guys like I would love for my daughters to one day like marry someone like you like you just love the Lord and I just pray my boys become like you um, that you just um, just seek after the Lord um, and, and, and so here's this picture that that we have our children for a season, and then we hand them off. And so we've got to invest in them and, and, and care for them, but one day we pass them off, and guess what? When that happens, you become, there's this, there's this shift where you're the authority mom-dad to become, now when you hand them over, you become more like brother-sister in Christ. And, uh, and sometimes that's hard for the parents. 
uh, it's hard for the parents to let go. That's where you hear like, like the, the, the phrase, like, uh, she has a hard time cutting the cord, uh, meaning she's never let go, from, you know, that's, that's my baby. There's no way I'm going to ever let my baby go. And God calls us to raise them and send them out. And um, we've got to let our children go. And, and as they get married, I know we have some young married couples in here. Uh, God calls you to cleave to your husband, your, your, your wife. Leave your father and mother. That you don't go back to them. So, so married couples, when you, when you disagree, not if you disagree, but when you disagree, you don't pick up the phone and call mommy and daddy. You don't run home and say, you'll never guess what he did to me or what he said. No, you stay there and you work things out. You reconcile that you've left mom and dad. Doesn't mean you can't speak to mom and dad and get counsel. You can't go to them for advice. Olivia's dad is an incredibly godly, wise man. Whenever I make big decisions, I call him. I, I need his wisdom. Uh, and, and so... There's this beautiful picture right here of, of it's, it's a foreshadow that there's this child coming one day that's going to redeem. And they don't even know that they need to be redeemed yet. Everything's good. And here, another question I have is, how much time is between the end of chapter 2 and where we'll be next week in Genesis 3? You know, how long was it before he created Eve Everything was very good until everything went really bad. You know, have you ever thought about that? Was it, was it like three years of marriage where they're just happy and, and they just avoid the tree and then finally one day they just, the temptation got to them and three years later they ate of the tree? Or was it like three minutes later? Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. But what I want you to see here is this, it's this beautiful picture of marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Um, it's not an evil thing as our culture sets it up to be. Uh, and I, I just love that some of you desire to get young married. Like you're radical, right, in this culture. Um, um, our culture says, what are you doing? You, go enjoy yourself. Enjoy all your individuality, your freedoms. Because the moment you get married, What? Life's over. So go enjoy everything right now. And then wait till you're 30, 35 and get married. Because as soon as you get married, like, you just can't have any fun anymore. The last 13 years of my life were better than the previous 13 years. Um, I've enjoyed every bit of marriage. We've had some hard moments. Um, but even those hard moments, they've, they've grown us closer together and make us stronger. And we appreciate those moments now. Um, you know, when we got married, neither of us had jobs. And, you know, you, you, got, you can't get married until you're financially secure. I don't know how we've made it. <laughs> and so we didn't have jobs. And we just said, you know, Lord will provide. And my goodness, he's been so good. He's provided in so many different ways. Uh, and all of this, I, I want you to see, like, God creates things to show us bigger pictures, bigger truths. And so here's this picture of husband and wife 
becoming one, holding fast each other. And, and yeah, it's about them, but it's really not only about them. There's something bigger going on. That this marriage is, it's a picture of a greater marriage. See, I've been married for 13 years to Olivia, but this uh, summer uh, in July, uh, I'll be celebrating another anniversary where I've been a bride for 20 years. This, this July, I'll, I'll be a bride, uh, be the bride of Christ for 20 years. 20 years ago, 1998, God rescued me. I was a student at Marshall. He rescued me. And uh, the New Testament says um, that the church is called the bride, that Jesus is the groom. And, and so this relationship between husband and wife, my relationship between me and my wife, it's a picture of, 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 a, of a bigger, more important marriage uh, that God is trying to put on display. So how we function as husband and wife, uh, you, you see that with Christ, that Christ, he, he, puts her, he puts his bride before his own interests. Philippians 2 reminds us of that. And just as a husband, I should put the interests of my wife before my own interests. That if someone has to go without something, it's me. That I put her and I say, if your money's tight, I really want to go golfing, but my wife needs shoes, she gets shoes. I don't go golfing. And shame on husbands that you just go and you do, it's all about you. You should be making much of your wife. You lift her up just as Christ does the church. He makes much of his bride in such a way he was willing to lay down his life. For her. So should husbands lay down their lives for their brides. So this is a picture of what Christ does with his bride. There's something bigger going on. So I love, I love looking at this, how the Bible begins with a wedding. And I don't know if you've realized this, but the Bible ends with a wedding. See, all these there's married couples filtered out this congregation. Your, your marriage is, is not going to last forever. There's going to come a day where we die. And uh, Jesus was asked this question, you know, who are you married to in heaven? And he says, you're, you're not married to, to, to anyone in heaven. You're, you, you have a perfect relationship with, with God. And so we're reminded of this in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 says this. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Talking about, about Christ. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. There's a, there's, a, there's a wedding at the end. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So in the beginning, there's a, there's a wedding. At the end, there's going to be a wedding. And in the middle, there's these weddings. And these weddings in the middle point us to this future wedding. Well, one day we're going to be invited to this. And man, just can you picture that? Can you imagine Christ returning, and he's establishing his kingdom forever. And 
and we're going to be with him. And, and it's going to be pre-Genesis 3. So there's no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow. I don't know what you're going through this week, this past week. I don't know what you're going to be coming to. I know there's been tears this week where you just wept. There's coming a day where there's going to be no more crying. Because we have the perfect groom who loves us well. He will never leave us or forsake us. And some of you have been hurt by men. You've been hurt by women. But you've got a perfect God who loves you. Who will never leave you or forsake you. He will never wrong you. He can do for you what no man or no woman could ever offer. And so this is a beautiful picture, and we get to be reminded of that in a special way this morning with the Lord's Supper, that the Lord's Supper is, is a reminder of how much He loves you. As you come this morning to the table, and you see a piece of bread, don't think, oh, wow, that's a piece of bread, I'm kind of hungry this morning, it's a little snack before lunch. And when you look at that bread and how it's broken, it's different, it's not a part of the loaf that is broken. And it represents, the Bible tells us that that piece is, is a representation of, of the body of Christ, that it was broken for you. So when you, when you grab that bread this morning, think of how his body was broken for you. That he put the interest of you before his own well-being. And when you see that cup, that it represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how much he loves you. He's crazy about you. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, if you're not a Christian, then we ask that you just sit during this time. Don't take of this part of the service. I just want you to reflect and think about why you won't surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What's holding you back? And so both stations are the same. Uh, if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to be a member of this congregation to, to have communion this morning. So um, both stations are the same, so you can come to either one. But don't come until you've reconciled with everyone, you've repented of sin. So we're going to give you a little bit of time to just repent right now and just um, seek forgiveness from the Lord. But whenever you're ready to come, you come and take um, of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Um, God, you're so good how you created mankind. You create us male and female to come together. And our relationship as husband and wife paints a, a picture of the Trinity. That you are three but one, just as Olivia and I are two yet one. That we are so united. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would just uh, see the beauty of that. Uh, Father, this morning as we just celebrate the death and resurrection of your Son, may we just be uh, um, just completely pure and spotless this morning. May we be blameless by just a time of confession. That we would confess to you this morning. And that confession would make us blameless in your sight. 
So, Father, hear from your children this morning. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.